they say you're living good Pretty lawns with fancy landscapes She stares ahead with a blank gaze In her good lovely afternoon. neighborhood Good afternoon, my name is Kurtz And welcome to Reverse Your Where the living uh, is to us on KMET And seeing us online worldwide um, For those of you who, um, who have been listening to us for the last few months, you know that we, we cover a lot of different subjects and the, the purpose of our show is to help you reverse your thinking about different topics. Like for example, uh, the person we're gonna interview today, uh, Carol Glover is a specialist in house flipping and we hope to reverse some of your thinking about flipping homes as a potential investment opportunity. Um, but most of the things that we cover on the show otherwise usually have something to do with finance, or budgeting, or or things of that nature, and and I and I think I want to reverse our direction today and take things in a in a slightly different direction because um, there are some things in the news that um, I think need clarification. Um, we've heard a lot of things uh, over time about uh, police brutality, and we've heard a lot of things uh, about school shootings, and and most of us sort of walk around shaking our heads and saying, how did we get here? You know, and you hear people talking about defunding the police and, uh, and, and red states and blue states. And, and let, me, let me just say right up front that I, I am a great supporter of uh, police protecting and serving the community, 150%. Um, however, that does not mean that I'm not prepared to hold them to task. But what I want to reverse your thinking on today is how we got here, how we got here. You know, when, when I talk to people about reverse mortgages as a mortgage broker, which is what I do for a living, one of the things that I like to do a lot of the time is to give them a history of reverse mortgages so they can separate fact from fiction and understand what they are so that an intelligent decision can be made. And I want to do the same thing here with you. But I want to do it in regard to uh, mass school shootings and, um, and police brutality issues. I know that's a far cry from, from budgeting and, uh, um, and finance. But I want you to bear with me because I'm not taking sides here. I'm not taking sides. I just want to explain to you how we got to where we are so that you can make an intelligent decision and you can figure out maybe what you want to do with it in relation to your, your congressmen and your senators, all right, and your congresspeople. So it's important to understand, with that said, it's important to understand that in order to, to, to get a grip to get a handle on how we got to where we are, we have to go back to the 1960s, all right? Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it ties very much into the troubled racial history of this country, because with, with riots in Watson, Detroit, and other urban centers in the 1960s, um, there was fear in, in the white community of a Black insurgency. And because of that, President Lyndon Johnson signed something called the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act of 1968. That's a, I know that's a mouthful, but let's just call it the Straight Safe Streets Act of 1968. 
And what this did is it gave rise to the Law Enforcement Assistance Administration. And what they did is they granted federal funds to local governments in order to obtain military resources to quell potential riots. Potential riots. Federal funds to local governments in order to obtain military resources. Um, and this is where SWAT teams in cities began. Um, today, not only do nearly 90% of American cities with populations above 50,000 have SWAT teams, so do more than 90% of cities with 25,000 to 50,000 people. Folks, that's a little insane, especially in a democracy, to have a police force that's completely militarized, militarized, all right? This is, this is what essentially we have created, all right? Um, when we come back in a few moments, we're going to follow this train and see where it leads us and how it gets us to today, all right? But what I want to start our next segment of the show off with is a song, all right, from our uh, from Angie Wells from her new album "Truth Be Told" that talks about the repercussions of a militarized police force in an environment like we have now, and how we got here, and school shootings and such. We'll be right back. Brother George died with a knee on his neck mm -hmm. Walter was running away when he was shot in the back mm -hmm. Tamir only had a toy gun in his hand mm -hmm. Then there's the mystery of our sister Miss Bland Truth be told, I can't hold it no more. I got to sing my pain. Speaking the truth to remind you not to forget their names. Oh, truth be told, I won't be silent no more. We got to make a change. Get out and vote, don't just sit and hope. Don't let them die in vain. Philando in the car with his family mm -hmm. There was no reprieve when Eric couldn't breathe mm -hmm. Sister Brianna was just lying in her bed mm -hmm. Oscar face down, handcuffed, still ended up dead 
Truth be told, we can't hold it no more. We got to sing our pain. Speaking the truth to remind you not to forget their names. Oh, 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 oh. truth be told, we won't be silent no more. We got to make a change. Get out and vote, don't just sit and hope. Don't let them die in vain. Elijah, Michael, Betty, Antoine. Freddie, Darius, and Laquan. Amadou, David, Tony, Stefan. Terrence and Jordan all gone. on the jazz charts. This is Mark Gertz. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. And I'm trying to talk with you today about reversing your thinking about policing and mass shootings in schools. Many of us think that there's a war between the police and African-Americans, but guess what? Of all of the unarmed people each year that are killed by the police, over 50% are white. Over 50%. Now, black people are disproportionately killed in relation to their numbers, but over 50% of the unarmed white people in this country, uh, uh, 50% of the unarmed uh, people that were killed by police officers were white. That's why this is important to everybody. So in 68, the government passed rules that gave state governments the ability to give police departments, military weapons. And then in, uh, in the 70s and in the 80s, President Nixon and President Reagan took us on a war against drugs. And all of that military-grade hardware was used to try to basically tamp down drug use in this country instead of creating resources to solve it in other ways. Um, in 1986, in its first operation, the Federal Asset Forfeiture Fund held $93 million um, for the benefit of police departments. Uh, by 2012, there was $6 billion in that fund, $6 billion that police forces were using to buy military-grade weapons. So now all of a sudden what happened was we brought military-grade weapons and military training into the police departments nationwide. And guess what? This created, this created an entirely different environment in neighborhoods. Because when you see police officers who are in the community and whose goal is to protect and serve, looking and acting like soldiers, it changes the way you interact with them and it changes the way you perceive weapons and the use of weapons. And there's a direct connection between that. So in 68, police departments got access to military grade weapons. 
In the 1980s, they took those military-grade weapons into neighborhoods, and they started doing a war on drugs, which actually is a war against our own citizens. All right? And then by 1999, you start, you start having school shootings. You see? Because kids watch this. Kids watch this. And, and it changes, it changes the, the vision of us when we see the military on our streets. They may be called police, but we've armed them and we've trained them differently. And they act differently. So there is a connection here between the militarization of police departments and the mass school shootings that we've experienced as recently as last week. This is why you need to call your congresspeople and you need to talk to them about demilitarizing the police, not defunding, demilitarizing. The time has come for people to take back control of the policing. This is Mark Gertz. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking. And welcome back. This is Reverse Your Thinking. I'm your host, Mark Gertz on KMET. Um, we, have a, we have a very fascinating guest this afternoon. Her name is Carol Glover. Um, she's not only a native of Manhattan Beach, but also of the beach's homegrown and often utterly unique real estate world. Her parents bought it, improved, and sold local properties throughout her childhood. And she learned at a very young age um, uh, the nature of real estate value and the fine art of uh, fixing it up as a kid. Um, she eventually went to law school and later launched both her own law firm specializing in real estate as well as a boutique development business. And this combined with her local knowledge and a gift of listening means Glover brings a lot to the table when looking at real estate transactions. And uh, we basically think of her as a triple threat. She's a real estate lawyer, a developer, and a broker. Welcome, Carol. Wow, thank you. Thanks for having me. We're happy to have you. Um, one, of the, one of the things I think about you and your career that's fascinating um, that I didn't learn about you until, until we'd known each other quite a while was how deeply you've been involved in what is generally called flipping homes, right? How, how many, do you, if you know, how many homes have you, have you flipped in your career? Um, so between, I, it's blended with my partner, but uh, and I think the last count is 194. 194, 194 homes. Well, I think that would, I think that would categorize you as an expert on the subject. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll have to have a party when you hit the 200 mark. Okay. I'm in. I'm in. So, so maybe the, maybe the best place to start is, is how did you, how did you get into this? You know, um, what 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 attracted you to it? Um, I, I I came by it quite naturally. Um, the intro even mentions I grew up in Manhattan Beach, and as a way to generate some additional income, my parents started buying little homes or little duplexes and and fixing them up. And so, mm -hmm. you know, from the time I was eight years old, I either had a you know a broom in my hand or a pair of shears uh, cutting down ivy or or whatever. And I, 
you know, just by osmosis, I think I, I learned the process of what a difference it made mm-hmm. um, in just the look and feel of a place when it was all cleaned up. And it's like, wow, that's that's a nice place to live now um, where it wasn't before. And they rented them. So, you know, fast forward, I was just interested in real estate. And um, so later on, I started doing my own projects. Um, I did a couple with my folks as well that really kind of got my feet wet and and uh, understanding the process. Yeah, I see. OK. Um, and, and obviously, it's been something that's been a, a constant in, in your career since since you were eight by by from what you say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was a little unaware at that time, but I it does stick with you. I, I guess it does. Um are there is is it something that is it something that the uninitiated can get into in your opinion? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean if you have money um to buy a project and you have the funds set aside to actually do the renovation, mm-hmm. um anybody as a flipper, and I think we've learned in the last couple of years, um based on you know all the the shows that have been on TV that the, the yeah. you know, the flipper industry has exploded. Nobody ever called it flipper when, when, you know, I was starting out and you just renovated homes for resale, but it's turned into quite the industry. So sure, just about anybody can get in it if you have the funds mm-hmm. and, and a property to buy. What are, what are some of the things you look for um, in a property um, if you're going to consider buying it and rehabbing it and, and reselling it? Yeah, so I I think of buying a place and fixing it up, um, you know, it's it's layers. So I start with the dirt, like where where is the property? Is this a desirable neighborhood? Um, do they have great schools here? Anything you would want as a home buyer, you want to identify that is in order to flip a property. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, then there's the structure on top of it and what condition is it in? Is it something that you're going to have to completely gut and redo, or is it a light touch up? Um, and then you're looking for resale value in the neighborhood and any potential changes or issues that are going on there. And it just, it just rolls from there, but it really starts with the dirt. Starts with Where the is it? Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so you mentioned at the top that, um, that, that, when you were when you were a kid work, working with your parents, that you were you actually were hands on. You were actually doing some of the work. Um, is that still the case now? I n- not quite. Not quite. Okay. <laughs> All right. I definitely. I I take the my partner takes more of the um, deal structuring, financial end, keeping you know control of the books. Uh-huh. I do the legal contracts and I also do the design work. So in terms of selecting design and then collaboratively collaboratively deciding what exactly is going to get done, uh-huh. um, we do that together. But but so that's my hands on now. I, I don't I don't generally swing the hammer. OK, well, there, there was a reason I asked you that. It's because when 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 most people talk about. Uh, rehabbing homes and and reselling them, um, they they sort of like don't know where to start because they they're not handy that way. They you know right. they you know may, may, maybe maybe they maybe they hang pictures in their house, but they don't usually you know rehab them. Um, how do you, how do you choose how do you choose people to work with? Well, 
I we have a long relation long term relationship with several um, contractors, okay. um, and and our own subcontractors or their subcontractors, and we've just developed a trust relationship with these people over many years. I I can call on them, and I know that the work is going to get done, and it's going to get done right. Okay. So, if somebody was if somebody was starting out, do you have any tips on on how to choose? Um, uh, contractors or, or uh, uh, home remodeling specialists? Sure. I mean, like anything else in, in life, you got to ask for, you got to network the heck out of this and ask for referrals and then talk to them, ask to see some of their projects, if they have something ongoing that you can walk a project with them. Um, mm -hmm. And then it just comes down to whether or not they are responsive, return your phone calls. Um, and it's hard when you're starting out because maybe you're a one-off for a contractor that is otherwise really busy, but you just got to keep after it. I see. Um, so you just, you just mentioned um, walking properties that they're working on. Uh, the, uh, contractors aren't going to resent uh, somebody asking them to do that, to, to see their, their work that way, in your opinion? I, I, if, they're, if they're looking for a new client mm -hmm. in terms of a developer who might use them consistently. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think so. A lot of that depends on the developer and whether that developer wants you to walk the project. Ah, um, okay. But right. but I often ask for recommendations and, and referrals and uh, from other contractors, just like you would any other professional, Car right? Carol, can, can you hear me? Yes. I'm having trouble hearing you. Uh-oh. How's that? Is that any better? Are you back? I think I'm yes, back. Yes, you are back. Yes. Okay. okay. All right. That's good. All right. All right. Um, so, so you were saying about having the con uh, walking the uh, walking properties with a, with a contractor that, that would be something they would they would uh, encourage. I they well they would be open to it just like any other professional. If uh -huh. if you ask a professional for referrals, can somebody talk about the quality of your work? Um, you know, please give me a couple of people that I can talk to. They should be able to do that. I, I, would, see. I would be hesitant if somebody wouldn't okay. be willing to do that. So, so in other words, it's very much like anybody in any profession, you, you, you want to see what they've done in the past and, and you want to, and, and hopefully maybe even talk to people that they've, they've done work for. Absolutely. Okay. And, and there's no reason why they should resent those questions. I don't think so. Okay. And if they did, maybe that's a, a reason to walk away in your opinion or just follow or ask them why i mean you know maybe okay. they haven't done any if they haven't done any work or they don't have any good referral sources you know they might they might be a newbie also um which it wouldn't necessarily be bad but you just have to track that a lot more closely gotcha okay um i i would imagine i would imagine in in rehabbing and and turning over homes there are challenges um as there as there are in any business or any investment model, uh, mm -hmm. could you share with us what some of those challenges might be? Um, well, I think the first one, getting back to the dirt, that it's challenging to actually find good product that is not overinflated in the marketplace. So you have to find that product that is a reasonable price that mm -hmm. you can can apply your time, energy, and talent materials to it and still make a profit. And so that's that's one challenge, and there's ways to to you know work that. Um, 
Another one is just a thorough investigation of the place. You know, you have these, you know, you watch these TV shows and it's like, oh my gosh, we were surprised um, with uh, this, this uh, condition behind the walls. And, Mold you know, behind I, the walls, right. All yeah, it, it happens, you know, it does. We, we've had that happen to us before. And it's not that we don't do a thorough job. It's just that you can't, you can't do invasive testing when you're looking at somebody's property. Let right. me just knock down the drywall and see the inside. So it, it happens. You just have to take that in, in into stride, and you've got to ha have contingencies in your budget for surprises. I see. Okay. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Let's let's talk about contingencies. Um, uh, I mean, are there any rules of thumb beyond the actual purchase of the property in terms of the amount of money somebody should sort of have cash on hand to work with? Uh, right. Well, there's, there is, you know, you go on the internet, you, you look at flippers and percentages and a lot of, a lot of that is that they use the, you know, 70% rule. Um, you know, you are supposed to, you know, calculate um, the, you don't want to buy it a property for any more than 70% of its after renovation value. Um, and then you deduct your anticipated and estimated budget from there. And that's okay. what you want to pay for the property. That formula doesn't work as well for us, but you definitely have to go in with, somebody's going to be asking a price mm -hmm. and based on your walkthrough, then you have to quickly come up with your budget. And then you have to understand the marketplace to know if you did all the fixes that you want to do to it and you, you know, turn the property, What's mm -hmm. it going to be worth done? And and then you just back up the numbers from there, cost of selling, you have to make your profit and away you go. So I see. I see. Um, I've heard some people say that things are much more challenging um, since uh, since COVID. Yes. Is, is that true? Um, totally agree. Can, can you share can you share with us some of some of the ways that that things are different now than they were, say, three years ago? Well, I I think that. Um, the demand um, is increased. You know, what we've seen in 2021 and, and 22, I mean, the market just exploding because home buyers, um, ever, you know, the overbidding. Now, I, I can't get in, you know, as a buyer of a property that I'm going to turn, um, I can't get into an overbidding situation. Mm -hmm. um, and and because my horizon is, is, 30, 60, 90, 120 days, if I'm lucky, mm -hmm. um, you know, but a homeowner can overbid or overpay because they're going to live there for the next, you know, 15 years. Sure. So that that's been the real challenge in the marketplace is just like a home buyer, any home buyer finding inventory and then not being a situation where you get into an overbid. So the inventory has been thin. There's no doubt. Gotcha. Okay. Is it still that way or has it, has it slowed down a little bit? It's um it is still thin. The inventory is still thin out there. Um, mm -hmm. I'm starting to see projects again, though. I'm starting to see um some properties that are challenged, and um a lot of them are estate properties or they've been in foreclosure. Mm -hmm. And it's possible that the owners or the agents really don't quite know what to do with it, or there's more, it's more than a carpet and a paint job. So mm -hmm. Um, so I'm starting to see some of those. Um, you you started out in in the in the section of Los Angeles known as the South Bay, all right, mm -hmm. which is Manhattan Beach and 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 cities next next to it on either side. Do right. you um, 
do you, do you invest in properties outside of that area now, or you stay pretty much uh, pretty much local? We we stay pretty much local. My my partner has a a joke that you know we we each have a five mile chain attached to our bumper from our front door, and so we don't we don't stray um, very far away. The reason being is that. I like to check my projects on a on a daily basis or at least oh. three to four times a, a week. I want to know what's going on. I want to make sure the work is progressing. Uh -huh. did, did everybody show up? Um, did the materials get there? Um, so with that kind of constant checking, if it's really far away, it's it just is a lot of time for us. Plus, I know the market. I, I really know this market like the back of my hand. So it, it's it sound it also sounds to me like this is a good this is a good uh, potential profit-making endeavor, but for control freaks. All right, all right. I, okay. I'm asking, I'm asking. I admit it, I admit it. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I mean, if you, I mean, when, when you said every day, I, I, that, that, that's pretty hands-on, but has experience taught you that, that that's a necessary evil, so to speak? Um, it? It, it depends on how complicated the project is, who, if I'm working with new subs or um, a, a newer contractor, right. um, and then you know the, I think the complexity is and and the tightness of time. If I mm -hmm. we're really on a deadline, I want to make sure that it's just getting done. So um, it's it doesn't necessarily have to be every day, but the project it, that interest clock is running just every day because you've borrowed mostly you've borrowed money to do the project, so. You mm -hmm. got to press to just get it, get it done. Gotcha. Um, let's 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 talk about that for a second. You talked about borrowing money to do the project. All right. Mm -hmm. um, what are the what are the rules of thumb about about that? I mean, you gave us one, which is that you want a property that's that's no more than seventy percent uh, of of let's say the market price of the of the. Uh, uh, after, of, of, after renovated value. Yeah, right. that's, a, that's a general rule of thumb. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. After renovated value. All right. So um, go ahead. No, so so what what does the what does the financing side of it look like? Yeah, well, um, you know, you um it just depends on how you're doing it. Are you are you financing it with cash and investors? Are you mm -hmm. looking to a hard money lender? Um yeah. and so based on that. On the lending side, it depends on how much they will lend on a project based on what their criteria is. So I then see. that factors back into how much you can pay for in that project with borrowed money. How, how much do you, well, if you are financing, as a rule of thumb, how much do you normally put down? Well, a lot of hard money lenders, which we've worked with a lot before, mm -hmm. um, will some will go 70%, some are 60, and some are lower than that, depending on whether they know you and whether they're comfortable with the project. I see. Okay. All right. Um, we're going to take a break. Um, when we come back, uh, let's talk about, um, let, let's start off with, with material costs before and after COVID and, uh, and, and, and how somebody would, would figure that into their equation. You're mm -hmm. listening to Reverse Your Thinking with Mark Gertz. We're interviewing Carol Glover. We'll be right back after this. And we're back on Reverse Your Thinking. And this afternoon, we're trying to reverse your thinking about um, flipping homes for a living. 
We're talking to Carol Glover, who, who, believe it or not, has flipped close to 200 homes in her career. Um, Carol, uh, just before the break, we, we started getting into materials. Um, mm -hmm. I, I know, uh, just by going to, to Home Depot, that, mm -hmm. that the cost of, of materials is, has skyrocketed in the last yeah. 36 months. How, how has that affected rehabbing and, and, and reselling homes? Well, like anything else, it just it goes into your budget. It, it, when you're so it's gonna affect it's gonna affect your when you're looking at a property, how how much do you have to put into this property to mm -hmm. make it presentable to the marketplace? Um, you know, uh, when supply chain issues were um, kind of at their their peak worst, I guess, um, mm -hmm. you know, lumber was crazy, right? Um, and so that really impacted as to whether you were going to go outside the envelope, whether you were going mm -hmm. to um, change any of the floor plan that that mm -hmm. required a lot of lumber. I mean, you really have to look at those things, but that that whole package to me is goes into one process. You have to look at it, you have to decide what the budget is, and you just keep on, you just have to keep up with, with local, with your local costs right? Um, as to what your budget is. And it's, you know, it's a larger budget than it used to be. So, uh, but so is the cost of the home and the sales price. Gotcha. What about, uh, have you, have you had any problems with what they call the supply chain in relation to uh, materials? It, it, there has been delay. There have been delays. Like I was just saying with lumber, it was ridiculous for a, a while. That's come down a little bit, but mm -hmm. um, appliances were a big deal um, for a while there. It took a long time to get uh, appliances, mm -hmm. some fixtures. Um, so when I, the thing that you have to learn is you don't wait until you close escrow to decide to order your product, right? You, okay. with the, when you're when you're an escrow, when you're decided and you're a go on a project, you start you start ordering and figuring all that out and and deciding those things way before the close of escrow. Because as soon as you close, you got to start. Gotcha. So that's it's almost like pre-production on a movie before you yeah. even start shooting. If you same, say so, I I haven't done a movie, but it sounds so. <laughs> that's, that's that's what it sounds like. Okay, that's it's it's same same type of thing. You just have to anticipate and. And be proactive. All right. right. Um, what are some of the what are some of the biggest um, mistakes that you've seen people make? They pay too much. They pay too much for the project, um, okay. or um, they underestimate their their costs, um, or they try to do it themselves, and they they just kind of go down a rabbit hole and and, and get stuck. Um, mm -hmm. so I really encourage people to, um, ask a lot of questions. If they're going to start, ask a lot of questions, network, um, you know, you mm -hmm. talked about, comp you talked about competition earlier, and I think it was with respect to contractors. Um, yeah. so, um, will I tell somebody in, in, in my geographic area, all my suppliers and what my pricing is and everything? Probably not. But if, if somebody calls me and they're working in a completely different area and they just want to know some general rules of thumb and uh -huh. about how things work, you know, I'll talk to them, you know. How, so. 
How would somebody get in touch with you? What would be the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, through our, our website, which is Turning Point Properties, LLC. So it's, you want me to spell it out? It's Turning Point, T-U-R-N-I-N-G, P-O-I-N-T, and then there's a hyphen, properties.com. Dot com. Okay, great. Um, all right. So so one big mistake people make is is overpaying for properties, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. It it sounds to me that those things sort of come under the the category of sort of like wishful thinking. Yes. A little bit. You know what I mean? Yes. And um, and and that's always a problem for newbies in in any business. Mm -hmm. um, suppose somebody wants to get into this, but they're gun shy for all of these reasons that we're talking about. Um, would it would it make any sense for them to sort of put get their feet wet by investing with somebody like you, by being an investor? Would that be a great way to learn? Or are there better uh, ways? It, it could be a, a way to learn, but our, our, you know, people who have been investing with us, they they don't really get involved in the in the day-to-day -day or the process. Okay. So I think it's better if they they find other people who are in the business, maybe in different areas. Also critical, really critical, get connected with um, local realtors um, who are embedded in the marketplace because as I said, one of the kind of the biggest mistakes is buying too high, anticipating that the market is going to keep, will, will save you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then, and then not being sharp enough with your, with your calculator or your pencil, as we used to say, and, mm -hmm. and, the pencil. and yeah, right. Who does that anymore? Um, I just dated myself. That's okay. Um, so figuring out, you know, what your, what your budget is. Um, mm -hmm. So, but you really need to know that the, the territory, you have to know what, you what's an overpay um mm -hmm. to buy and then what what's the what's the a fair and, and good price at, at the back end um mm -hmm. and, and i think that you really have to dig into that with a, a local quality realtor or two okay um establishing relationships with realtors that way is that also a great way to find the type of properties that you want yeah mm -hmm. we get a lot of referrals from realtors do you, do you find uh, are there realtors that that sort of specialize in helping um, people that want to flip homes find what they're looking for? Uh, I'm sure there are. I I don't work with with those. I just work with the a lot of local realtors that, that are in our yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so so we were talking we were talking a few moments ago about about money about okay. Um, is there any rule of thumb about how much cash on hand? Um, you need to have to, to rehab a house or or another side of that question is or would getting the money to do that be part of the potential financing well usually people have the cash and they finance a portion of it just like we were talking about right um, you can people who are starting out um, generally speaking do the friends and family thing I mean when when Okay. We first started um, flipping again after the the 2008 recession and the crush. So we started doing product again about I think it was 2010. Um, our first restart project was a, a joint venture with with one of our contractors. Uh -huh. um, so we pulled our money and did our first project and then rolled from there. Um, no rule of thumb. I mean, I've done projects with a budget of sixty thousand, and I've done 
projects with a rental budget of a million. So gotcha. it's all over the place. Gotcha. Um, are there any, um, is, let's end with this. What, what's, the, what's the best type of property to flip in, in your opinion? Um, I, I think all asset types are flippable. We've done commercial strip centers, apartment buildings. Um, mm. uh, but the, the, the hungriest part of the market is the single family residence. Single family residence. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the, the broad part of the market and where there's so many buyers that I think that people, it's a safer bet to do a single family and, and a, or a duplex. And, and a better place to start, in your opinion? Yeah, smaller bites, definitely. There you go. Okay. <laughs> We've been talking to Carol Glover, um, uh, real estate broker and attorney and uh, consummate property flipper. Carol, it's been great to have you on the show. You're listening to Reverse Your Thinking Mortgage, and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Uh, my name is Mark Gertz. Um, this is Reverse Your Thinking. We started out the show uh, trying to get you to reverse your thinking about the history of police militarization and school shootings, which may not seem like they're attached, but if you really start researching these things, um, you begin to be able to connect the dots. And then we had on Carol Glover, who's an amazing, amazingly talented individual. She's uh, flipped almost 200 homes in her career. And she gave you her information on how you can pick her brain a little bit more. She's totally willing to make uh, make herself available to you. We're going to end the show today with something a little bit more um, tame and, and mundane. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, decisions uh, for each phase of retirement planning, because because just like the way we open the show, um, thinking about retirement requires you to flip your thinking a little bit, okay? To, to combine two elements. Um, and, and the first thing that you need to change is you need to change your thinking about when you start thinking. Because most of us think to ourselves that, you know, we're not gonna worry about retirement planning till we're in our 50s or 60s. And, you know, I was talking to, I was talking to someone today and uh, and she shared with me that she had a tragedy in her life about three months ago. Her um, her daughter-in-law at age 35 with two young children passed away. Uh, and in the course of our conversation, I, I asked her, uh, did she have any life insurance? And she said, no, they didn't have any insurance at all on on her. And uh, and I said, wow, that's really tough, um, you know, with with the husband working. And she said, yes. And, and here's what she said that, that struck me. She said, her son said to her, we didn't think we'd have to worry about that for another 20 years. That's the whole problem with retirement planning is that you can't wait till your 50s to think about retirement planning. You have to start thinking about it in your 30s and in your 40s, because that's what's known as the accumulation stage of your life. This is when you need to start putting money together, rubbing money together for retirement, 
taking a piece of everything that you earn and setting it aside. And this is critical. And I know it's tough. I know in this marketplace, we're, we're talking about something that seems almost astronomically difficult when, when everybody is, is borrowing from Peter to pay Paul in buying groceries and clothes and everything else. But it's necessary. It's necessary because for most of us, we are going to live to be 70 or 80 or 90 years old. It's hard to remember. It's really hard to remember that only 100 years ago, people didn't expect to live past 30 or 40. And now we're living to 80s and 90s. My father passed away at 97. So you need to start accumulating money when you're in your 30s and your 40s. And you need to get help doing that. You need to get a financial planner that's someone who's going to be with you along the way for the trip. The second thing you need to do is when that by the time you get into your 50s, this is what's known as the pre-retirement stage in your 50s, pre-retirement. This is when you start making plans. Uh, and you need to do this about 15 years before you get ready to retire. So if you want to go at 65, you got to do it at 50. You're going to go at 70, you got to do it at 55. This is when you start planning. Um, it's still part of the accumulation phase. You're still going to be saving money, but now you're going to start figuring out, you know, what it's going to look like, how to put the pieces together. Um, it's a critical time uh, for talking with an experienced and qualified financial planner again, who can prepare retirement projects for you, who can help you put things into focus, can help you visualize what things are going to look like 10 or 15 years from now. And if you say to yourself, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, who plans that way? Didn't you? Didn't you? Didn't you, when you started high school, when you were a freshman at high school, imagine what it was going to be like when you finally were 18 and got out of school? So of course you did because everybody wanted to get out. This is the same thing, folks. You just need to take a moment and figure out what the future is gonna look like for you, or more importantly, how you want it to look, how you want it to look. The next phase after this is actual retirement, getting into retirement at that time. You know, it's interesting. They've had riots in the streets in Paris, okay? They've had riots in the streets in Paris for weeks because they raised the retirement age for France's social security to 64. 64. I can't remember the last time anybody talked about retiring at 64. Of course, people retire younger, but most people retire much, much older. And then the, the last phase of retirement planning is late retirement. Um, this is when you start getting into your 70s and your 80s and your 90s. And what's necessary to do in that situation is to make plans for care more than anything else and make plans for what you want the quality of your life to be for the last part of your life. And where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line for you, right? What's, it, what's important things for you? Okay, so we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of ground today, all right? But the main theme of today's show has been to change the way you visualize 
the things that happen and why they happen and what your responsibility is to try to change those things and change those outcomes and do something about it. My name is Mark Gertz. This is Reversing Your Thinking. I'm a mortgage broker here in California. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Where the living is good.